The PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 22. This week's episode is brought to you by Mercury and the Murd, Volume 1, Collateral Damages. Collecting the first six issues of the small press internet comic sensation, this book is the perfect jump on for all readers who must know how Mercury and the Murd became to be the best buddy cop comedy team since Starsky and Hutch. Read their adventures as they battle crime throughout the seedy streets of Dayton, Ohio, while taking on ninjas, apes, cosplay patrons, evil business tycoons, and so much more. 136 pages of black and white excitement, for $9.09, available at heroescorner.com and dcbservice.com. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy. This week's episode, we talk with Mumblepuss webcomic creator, Jamie Fickus, and the head of Lead Slinger Studios, Jason Meadows. Uh, those two gentlemen are also the co-hosts of the Nerdcast podcast that's been circulating for a good period of time now. We talk about the small press and indie game with them. We also talk about the Pittsburgh Comic Con, which is coming up this weekend. PKD Media will also be a part of that festivity as well. You can come see me, along with artist Chaz Ciccone. We will also have a ton of comics and, and artwork available for sale. It's going to be a good time, so please come on down. Also on the show, we will have comics creator Sean Gabrin. Sean Gabrin is the head of Angry Known Comics, and he is the writer on such titles as Victor Season, Palm Reader, and the anthology series known as Short Stack. We also break down the small press and indie game with him, although myself and John Carroll, along with Sean Gabbard. We break all that down for you. And we also talk about some of his um, inspirations uh, to write horror-style comics and some of the horror films that he's enjoyed and inspired him to create these comics. Breathe in, breathe out. And now, on with the show. All right, we'll check it. We're going to start with you, Jamie. I know from the, from the internets and from meeting you a couple years ago at the Pittsburgh Comic Con with Quip, you, now you do a, a webcomic called Mumblepuss. We're going to get to Mumblepuss in a bit, but how did you hop into like, the world of comics and hop into the world of art? God, whew. it all started when I was five. And uh, no, <laughs> I would always draw He-Man figures. That was, I knew what I wanted to do pretty much from one uh, birth. I was always drawing, always. I was real big into He-Man, so I would create my own He-Man figures. Like that's what I did from like five to twelve. And there's like reams of paper of all that stuff. I went to school for graphic design. I almost went to the Joe Kubert School. For but real? My yeah, yeah. My dad convinced me that I should have other skills to rely on. So uh, <laughs> my buddy and I went up to Joe Kubert. So I really liked it, but at that time, the curriculum wasn't as um, developed as it is now. Mm. He convinced me that I needed to go to actual college college and get a well-rounded education. Uh, so from that point, I uh, started in school, did a lot of drawing, did a lot of illustration. Promptly after that, got a job as a graphic designer and didn't draw for like nine years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so... Uh, like I literally did not pick up a pen for like, I think it was like seven, seven and a half years. And I hadn't really drawn for like, I think it was nine. So, uh, I kind of got started back up into this, you know, getting involved with actually with Jason 
and Sean doing the Nerdcast and going to conventions and stuff and being like, I shouldn't let all my dreams die as I get older. <laughs> you know, it, it. you should really try to try to make something out of the creative energy that you have. And I definitely get inspired by looking at other artists and interacting with other artists. And it kind of renews that creative spark in me. And you feed off each other and you, you, you start getting into, you know, creating something. Like, I love comics i love everything i love superheroes i love fables i love sandman you know all sort of narrative storytelling i'm i'm really big into it but uh unfortunately i struggled and that's probably why i stopped stopped drawing is i wanted to be a comic book artist but really my calling and what i do naturally is more of a cartoonist like i'm when i draw it's much more naturally goofy silly funny and uh while i would i appreciate and love the double page spread of deadpool fighting you know spider-man when i draw it uh you know there's usually some sort of slapstick or <laughs> something stupid in there that i uh i find funny and, and try to work into the the joke and you know my st- everyone's got kind of like different styles and my style kind of lends itself to more to the cartoon aspect of it well th- no, but there's nothing wrong with that either i mean we're like in this like phase now where I think people are starting to recognize that there's nothing wrong with being called a cartoonist and that, right. and that cartoonist has just as much of an importance and merit as being a comic book artist. I heard this once on 11 o'clock comics where someone thought that if a comic book artist was being called a cartoonist, that that was an insult, but it's not. A lot of comic book artists see that as a compliment because like, I don't know, maybe because of the history of art and how things have evolved to the world we're at today but seeing it's definitely seen as a compliment so no man don't be ashamed of that for sure oh um, no it, it, it's been easy to be more accepting of this like once i start getting back into it is like one of my one of my idols is uh, scotty young and he's a perfect example of what you're just talking about like he is a he's a diehard cartoonist like the shit he does and the amazing stuff he puts together is like I wouldn't necessarily consider him a comic book artist. I consider him more of a cartoonist. Right. And some of the stuff he works on on his own projects and stuff, and, and it's much more accepted now too. When you got the, you know, I'm really inspired by like the mini Marvels and the G Man and the you know uh, Tiny Titans and you know all that stuff that's out there right now that you know has a has a pretty strong strong following. You know, well, and that you're kinda, big. Usagi Ojimbo fan. I mean, I was a huge Stan Saki fan. You know, awesome. the Muppet shows that's coming out right now. There seems to be a little bit of a resurgence of the the art of cartooning. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I wouldn't have been so neglectful over the past decade of my life, maybe I would have been a little <laughs> bit more on the ball with that stuff. See, but I, I remember now, not to cut you off, but I no, remember yeah. as a kid. Because I always read, I read ton, tons of comics as a kid because my parents would take me to the comic book stores or like a, like a convenience store all the time. And I remember getting a, uh, like a beat-up copy of uh, Marvel Tales, and it was Tales T-A-I-L-S. And it was the very wow. first appearance of uh, Spider-Ham. And it had oh, Cap- yeah. And it had Peter Ca- Parker. Yes, yes. And it had Captain America and Hulk Bunny. And that yep. was like my first, that was my first time really seeing, I guess, um, the car, you know, a cartoony style. Yeah, I read Richie Rich as a kid and Casper, but that didn't really affect me. Just would continue to read my Star Wars comics, my Iron Man comics, my, my you know, my DC stuff, my Marvel stuff, and anything else I could find. But when I got that Spider Ham, it was just completely different for me. And I was just like, I didn't know that type of style could exist. On the He Man tip, 
I used to draw He-Man characters too as a kid. I, granted, they were terrible looking, but I did a. Um, I made Zodak because he's like one of my favorite characters because nobody knew who the hell he was. He just had that cool ass chair, and he would just come. Right. <laughs> he would come by every now and then, like I'm here. Let me break down what's going on, and then disappear. But like I um, drew his brother, and I, <laughs> I just made up a character. Like I'll give Zodak a brother. And I didn't have a name for him, so I'm like, I'm looking around. I'm, I'm, I'm staying with my dad. My parents were divorced at the time. And I'm looking uh-huh. around, just looking at stuff, trying to find, you know, find a name. It's like, maybe if I can find something, give me like, some type of inspiration for a name. And I look up, and there was something called, there was a bottle of cognac. And I was like, <laughs> cognac? Cognac Johnson. So I named, I, I named Zodak's brother Cognac Johnson. But, um, but, yeah, see, that's how jacked up I was. But anyway, I digress. Well, yeah, here's a little trivia for you with the Zodak. Did you know that uh, he was supposed to be Metron from the DC universe? Get out of here. Yeah. Because he had, I mean, you take a look at you know, Metron and Zodak, and they are Zodiac. They are, you know, the chair and everything. It's, it's a direct ripoff. You know, they, it was, I, 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 I wish I had it in front of me and, you know, I would look it up on the internet, but that's not really the point. But there is a connection between those two characters where, uh, I think when they published that comic, they expected there to be a crossover or something. Oh, okay. And, uh, there you go. Dope. I didn't know that. that. Jamie done brought some facts to the table. <laughs> when it comes to, when it comes to He-Man, I know a lot of things, but back to Peter Porker, man. Uh, huge influence on me. I mean, it's huge influence for what I do at conventions now. I mean, uh, all the number one request is that no one wants to see anything I draw normally. They want me to, you know, make a mumble post version of, you know, any obscure character they can think of. And since I have a pretty good foundation in in comics, it's like, oh, you need me to do uh, Butterball from, uh, you know, Avengers Initiative. Cool. <laughs> and they're like, you know that character? I'm like, hell's yeah, I know it. You know, give me a give me a B level character. Give me you know a C level character. I probably know about them. Those are my types of characters. And I always loved, you know, every time you got one of those Peter Porker characters, and they would always change their names into some sort of like, I don't even remember. remember. Goose, it was like, what was it? Goose Rider. Yes, Goose Rider. <laughs> Uh, you know, Captain America, you know, all that stuff. Didn't uh, like the Wolverine character have like a pot on his head or something. <laughs> it it was Ooh. it was so jacked up. <laughs> I love that. That was that went to the top of my uh I, when I was growing up, I only got comics in a, in a newsstand, which, you know, you don't see that anymore. And I would always be looking for that Peter Porter. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't understand that things are distributed (laughs) (laughs) once a month. So I'm going in every week. I'm like, where the hell is that Peter Porker? (laughs) I like what he has to say. (laughs) Speaks to me. Now, Jason. um, Yes, sir. I would like to know, because I know you got, you know, you have the collaborative efforts of Let's Slinger Studios behind you. Just like with Jamie, how did you get started and what influenced you? Uh, I was a big fan of the three and three quarter G.I. Joe action figures. Oh, yes, yes. As a, uh, you know, younger child and then into my early teens. And uh, I used to watch the cartoon religiously. And uh, I still remember the cur- commercial during one episode. They showed a commercial. If you, you know, enjoy the G.I. Joe cartoon, check out the Marvel comic book. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I went running upstairs to my mom, who, thank God, my mom's fucking awesome, and told her, I'm like, Mom, we got to find a comic book store. And she's like, I know exactly where a comic book store is. And that weekend, she took me out, and I got my first uh, three comics. It was three issues of G.I. Joe. I think it was 21, 22, and 23. And uh, 
I've been going back ever since. I went in a couple weeks later, bought some more uh, G.I. Joes, bought some. I was always a Spider-Man fan, too. The 60s Spider-Man cartoon is like my heart and soul. So uh, I didn't I go in there and holy shit, there's like three different Spider-Man books coming out. You know, I like Jamie at the time. I didn't understand, you know, how comics work. I thought Spider-Man was Spider-Man. There'd be like one Spider-Man title. So I started picking up Amazing and Peter Parker and whatever the other one. I think it was Marvel Team Up. And I've just been collecting ever since. The guy that worked there gave me a job there. And, uh, yeah, my collection just grew exponentially. And now it's insane down here. (laughs) But uh, I always loved to draw. When I was getting ready to graduate, my dad asked me what I wanted to do. Said he he would pay to send me to any school I wanted to go to. Told him I wanted to go to uh, Joe Kubert School. And, uh... He told me no. Oh. He, he would only pay to send me to a real college, and me being me, told him, fuck it, then I wasn't going to college. I got an apartment, got a shit job, and uh, smoked a lot of weed and chased around some loose women. <laughs> so then, he like, uh, you know, 10 years later, I finally hooked up with uh, my studio partner, Sean Wagner, and we uh, formed Ledslinger Studios and started putting some books together. You brought me back when you uh, talked about Marvel Team Up. Um, that was one of the books I always made sure that I'd, I'd have every single month it came out um, as a kid. I, you know, maybe it was because it was that thing of having, you know, you have Spidey, but you would get like a new superhero every single, you know, every single month almost. So yeah. it was ne- it never got stale and it never got old and it never got tired. And I remember I came in on it where you had Marvel Team Up was out, but there was also like a Marvel Tales, which was doing Spider-Man reprints. And they would yep. also reprint some of the older issues of uh, Marvel Team Up, and that had a lot of the John Byrne Marvel Team Up stuff. Yeah. And to me, that was mind blowing because that's when that during that period of time where, in my mind, John Byrne could do no wrong. And if it wasn't John Byrne, I wasn't going to read it. But right. um, I mean, now it's a totally different mindset. There's so much other stuff I love, but th- that was a great time for comics. And I and I really wish they would go back to the days of having commercials for comics. I just I wish there weren't so many titles. I mean, I'm gonna sound like an old man here or whatever, but even with Marvel cutting titles like they did, you know, you can't say you're gonna cut all the Spider-Man titles then have Amazing coming out three times a month, mm-hmm. you know, and all the X-Men titles. I haven't read an X-Men comic in years, and uh, I don't really miss it. If they would go back to Uncanny X-Men and you know have a good team on there, a creative team that is, you know, I would certainly get back into it. But I just. I miss the days of being able to read a title and enjoy it on its merit and not have to worry about crossovers and all that other shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, the big two, I mean, they you're definitely right. They are publishing a ton of books right now. And it makes it difficult for a lot of people, especially when money's tight, to um, decide, you know, what you're going to buy. And for some people, it just gets to a point where it's just like, okay, there's just too much. I just can't buy any of this. It puts people in a bind. And, and like, for me in comics, it should never come down to that. It, it really shouldn't. Because to me... I think, like like you said, Jason, I think it would probably be just more, I think it would be more of a success if there was just one big-ass Spidey book a month rather than having, like, three, like, like having Amazing come out on a weekly basis. And there was a period of time where it was just Amazing. But now you have all these other Spidey books out now, too. And I thought the yeah. whole purpose of Amazing was to be weekly and to have it be the only Spidey book. Yeah. And that's the thing. Spider-Man, you know is my heart and soul. That's the character that I buy anything. If it's got Spider-Man in it, I buy it. So my pool list has got... Yeah, Jamie will testify to the (laughs) shitty books I have bought over the years because Spider-Man's in them. 
<laughs> but uh, my pool list this week was four bucks. I mean, it's down to that point for me. And this is a guy who in the 90s was spending, I, my average week was 40 bucks back when comics were, what, a buck and a quarter a piece? So, you know, for me to buy only four books a week is huge for me. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I kind of, you know, we're all independent people here. And uh, they, uh, it's interesting to see how the mentality's kind of changed to where it's like when you're doing everything on your own and you're doing a convention and then you see somebody a month later and there's like, they're like, where's your new book? <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, I, I, I letter, I, I draw everything, you know, uh, you got to coordinate artists, all this other stuff. It's not, they're used to the, uh, you know, 15, being inundated with with all this product. And it's uh, when you're independent, it's hard to really, uh, number one, get your book out and all the, the, all the stuff that comes with it. But mm-hmm. then uh, compete with people who only have blinders for the superhero stuff right well not only that but trying to train them and make them understand that not only is it just the big two you know there are other there are other publishers out there that do put out monthly books but also trying to make them understand how a lot of indie and small press companies work and it's that's that's a mentality that's very difficult to break you've experienced that jason i'm sure you've experienced that as well how do you, how do y'all, and either, please, either y'all feel free to answer this question. How do y'all find, find the time or find the way to break that down to people that ask about your books and stuff? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> well, unfortunately <laughs> right now, um, my crew went from just me and Sean Wagner to now there's like seven of us. But my boys, because I can't afford to pay them like they deserve to be paid. Yeah. for the hard work they're doing, you know, I encourage them and I whore them out and try and find work for them as well. So Jim McMahon in particular, who drew uh, the first issue of Tales from Nerosville and uh, Litzlinger Studios was publishing his miniseries, uh, The Mighty Sullivan, for him. He took off like gangbusters and, you know, he's got a book coming out from uh, Slave Labor Graphics. He's got something in the works for, uh, I believe it's Image or Random House. I don't think they've narrowed down the publisher yet. And now he's doing a something for Dark Horse, you know, so he, in uh, appreciation for me, giving him his break, you know, brings me on to letter all these books for him. I'm working with uh, Jason Becker on some titles. Uh, So I'm lettering, inking, I'm lettering, inking and writing all our own books. So right now I have, me and most of my crew have found work outside of Leslinger Studios. So everything that is mine per se is on the back burner. Okay. So, you know, I don't even try to address that to people because I'm trying to get them to come over and buy like issue one of this book, issue one and two of this book. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tell them it's going to be another eight months. Right. Until that next issue comes out. I just tell them we're working on the next issue oh. and, and <laughs> hope they don't ask for anything more specific than that. You have to do what's best for you, especially in your situation. No, no seriously. I understand that completely. I'm in a little bit of a different spot because I put out new content for free every week. And uh, uh, it's interesting to see, like, people really want to buy a paper product, which is I'm almost moving away from. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm like, if I could check it out online and I like it, I will support you. But uh, 
uh, a lot of the conventions lately, especially like I guess with the bag and board, I've been going to more superhero conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't necessarily want to check me out online. They'd rather buy my comic, which is odd. But uh, there is a st- there is a, a strong undercurrent current of oh, this is free. I'll go check it out online, which is what you know you want them to do. You want to drive them to come to your website, right. and uh, you know that way at least. <sighs> I'm driving eyes to my main source of uh, audience with my, you know, with my readers, which is, you know, my website. It's not necessarily my comic. I did a comic so I could actually, you know, have something to sell at the comic shows because I had done a bunch of these, you know, without, you know, with handouts and stuff. And if you just hand it out at a convention and be like, hey, check out my webcomic and you have a table, people don't really get it. Right. <laughs> yeah. like what web comic and it's awkward when you're immersive in you know in the independent scene or you know you're trying to network with people it's so prevalent among a lot of creators now that are doing their own own stuff whether they're doing mainstream they're working for dark horse they're working for marvel they're working for dc but then they got their own side projects where they're working on their own content with a web comic and scotty young's doing that chris iliopolis is doing that and they both work for marvel uh, you know, you got all the this prevalence of uh, the webcomics community out there, and uh, the technology just keeps improving leaps and bounds. And sometimes it's easy to forget that not everybody understands that an iPhone connects to the internet, mm-hmm. and you can read their comics anywhere. Yes. So <laughs> you got to keep grounding yourself and be like, bring it back to baseline. What are you doing here? <laughs> well, see, I, I've. After like you know doing con- doing cons for about like two years and like putting books out there, letting people know that like we have a website where people can read our stuff for free, and we also have the stuff available in print form. What I've started to notice over two years is that I put all the stuff out here just to get feelers, to see what people like and what they don't like. And I decided, and I probably talked about this a million times to folks, just streamlining and putting out like bigger books like say for instance like uh, like the mercury and the murder collateral damages trade that's like a 136 page book and it's just straight mercury and the murder and that's like probably best almost about two years worth of work one big ass trade here you go so now they see that as like okay cool volume one's here okay maybe you know there's small press so maybe the next one won't come out till next year so this will hold me off and i'll be okay and you know right. maybe they'll, maybe they'll go to the website to see well maybe let's see if they're working on something else right now and for us by streamlining and just saying, here's a trade every year. Here's a trade for Mercury and the Murd. Here's a trade for Agents of Cult. Um, here's a book for Wasted Wonderland. And here's some other stuff that we're doing. You know, here's like a superhero anthology. Just like a, just do it that way. If I if I do it that way and like kind of get people on that train of okay, he puts out X amount of books once a you know X amount of times a year, and that's it. There's no monthly stuff coming this way. <laughs> Brother can't afford it. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. You know, we're small beans right now, but that's okay. Maybe, you know, I'm hoping we grow. I hope we can do something. But it's it's kind of, it is still difficult trying to get some people to break that mentality of understanding the difference between small press, indie, and, uh, you know, and the, and the much bigger companies. Yeah, and that's the direction you're taking is something that Sean and I had talked about before because him and I are both a little bit on the ADD side, so neither of us want to be doing the same shit for long period of time mm-hmm. so a lot of what we write is mini series or like you know tales from nearsville is my baby that's my book and I, i'm doing that in an astro city vein so i can rotate characters rotate the types of stories you know and not 
burn myself out on writing, you know, one character over and over again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we keep talking about instead of putting out miniseries or individual issues, you know, collect like three to five issues and throw them out that way. You know, that, but it's just hard for us because <laughs> we don't know how long it's going to be between, you know, trade one and trade two. Oh, no, exactly. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that the people that I collaborate with, we've worked out schedules, we've worked out, you know, how much we can actually do, uh, you know, for some of these books that are, you know, either coming out this year or, or you know, or early next year. So I'm, I'm lucky in that fact. I mean, I'm real, real lucky. So I'm thankful for that. From, from like a business standpoint, it kind of made more sense for us just to go ahead and try to do things in a collected format for the simple fact that um, from a business side, it's a higher profit margin. Right. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a higher profit margin. So we can make more money selling a trade than we could a single issue of, of, of Mercury and the Merge. Like a single 22-page issue, we might make, uh, if we're lucky, 55, 55 cents off of a single issue. And if you only sell like 10 issues over two days at a con, for us, that's, that's killer. You know, I mean, it's that's you know, it's just not good for us. But like, if we can sell twenty copies of a trade, that's a whole different profit margin, and it makes things a little bit better. So, but once again, it's one of those things you can only do what you can do, and that's it. So, yeah, you know, you know, so to each their own. I, I won't knock the hustle at all. But on the tales, tales from Nero'sville tip, you, you talked about how you said it was kind of like inspired from Astro City. You say or. It's a direct ripoff. That's what I like to tell you. <laughs> cool. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, Nero'sville is uh, the city with the highest uh, population of super-powered people per capita of any city in the United States. Um, haven't really gotten into this aspect in the book yet, but it was like a dying mining town, and they tried to their idea to give it a boom and give it a boost was to give certain incentives to superheroes and the like to move there, whether it's, you know, tax breaks, different uh, perks, that sort of thing. And, uh, of course, when you get all those, you know, capes and spandex type in one small area, shit gets fucked up. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, some of it, I, I like, I like to put a little bit of sense of humor in everything, you know, that I do. I try and, you know, everything's a little tongue in cheek. I don't, I'm not, writing the goddamn Batman, you know, I'm not Frank Miller. So I try and keep it, keep it light, but that's my friend. Yeah. I got, I got like 200 characters. I'm slowly trying to work into this book. Yeah, that's it. There was a story where there are these two superheroes that are trying to get into this club. Yeah. You got that one? I know. Like, um, I I swear I saw, I I either had the paper version or I saw it online and it wasn't via BitTorrent. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> but, but like I, I swear I read it somewhere, and it was the yeah. There are two heroes trying to get into this club, and I remember reading that, and I laughed my ass off. Yeah, that was uh, Lightning Doug and Airball. That was the second issue of Tales from Nearsville. Fantastic. Which I'll be which I'll be hawking up at Pittsburgh. <laughs> hey, ain't nothing wrong with that. Jamie, on the Mumblepuss tip, what got you to create Mumblepuss, and where do you feel, where do you stand with Mumblepuss today? <laughs> it changes from week to week. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where we had started, my wife and I had started talking, and like, uh, it became this cute little inside joke 
uh, we had gone to a uh, uh, one of those builder bear places and made a a bear, and it turned out where it looked like it was frowning, and we we're like, "What? What is that bear thinking? Why is he so pissed off?" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and 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 we had him dressed up like a pumpkin because they were you know you get their stupid outfits for him, and it was around October. Like he's probably pissed off that you dressed him up like a pumpkin, and it kind of went from there. Like this idea of this pissed off teddy bear that is just surly and it just does not do anything nice. <laughs> and uh, it, it became this joke that we would talk about, and then we started to let people in on our joke, and they kind of responded to it. So, you know, like I said, I had not drawn or picked up a pen in you know years and years and years, and this is what kind of spurred me to start uh just doing something because a couple of my friends and uh zach always laughs because he always thinks i'm talking about him but it's my friend zach always talk about doing something i'm working on a project or i'm you know i'm not gonna publish my stuff till i'm good enough or i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna wait and keep drawing and when i feel i'm good enough i'm gonna just start it i got tired of those excuses people just complain <laughs> I got. I don't want to be one of those guys that was like, ah, you know, I can, I can do something. I can create that, and then just sit back and and and, and never do anything. So, with Mumblepuss, I kind of started it, and then realized, oh, I probably should have had a buffer, or I probably should have thought more about my characters, or I should have thought more about the setting, or you know, blah 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 blah. And then I got kind of got into like researching. There was an actual people who actually do web comics, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> all the time and make a living at it and I was like maybe I should look into uh, seeing what they're doing and that, that's when I started listening to like Web Comics Weekly and you know uh, getting their book and, and you know figuring all that stuff and realizing yeah everything I'm struggling against right now uh, is all stuff I probably should have thought about before I started which I always advise people now getting into web comics to actually you know develop before you you start it but now i have like i have a cast of what like seven characters yes all fully fleshed out including you know. uh is it duck ducky mcfatty ducky p mcfatty <laughs> yes he is the creepy one of the the bunch they're all the premise of the comic is originally it just started off how does mumblepuss thwart my life like what does he do you know how does he interact with me and then i was like i don't want to write myself in the comic every week i'm going to remove that aspect of it and have it focus on the stuffed animals and you got jamie super bear who's a super nice one he never does anything wrong he's such a goody goody he's kind of annoying he likes to sing you got mobile plus his girlfriend who's like a codependent doesn't realize that he's bad loves the like he's got a little bit of harley quinn in there because i'm a big harley quinn fan and you got ducky who's like every geek and antisocial nerd I have ever met in my life. Kind of pervy, you know, <laughs> like just uncomfortable. Spits when he talks. Uh, you know, I, I really, uh, Ducky's one of my favorite characters and he just kind of, just kind of fell on my lap. He's a uh, Mumblepuss's kind of like right hand. Nice. Always wants to, you know, is he's kind of like his Renfield. <laughs> If you had to, uh, you know, pick that. And a lot of the comics just come straight from my life. Like, uh, for a while there, I was doing a lot of comic talk because we were, you know, that's pretty much all I was dealing with. And now, since my life is all about having a new baby, there's a lot of of that in there about being pregnant, where the babies come from. Uh, that, since their that stuff boy got laid. Yeah. <laughs> that boy got laid. Uh, you know. Yeah, that, that comic cracked me up, man. <laughs> 
And when he did the, finally did the high five at the end, he was like, "Well, now you can prove it." Did the high five and like and the, the smile on Mumblepuss's face is fucking awesome. It's really, it's just really a blast to do. I love doing it for somebody who writes a. I, I wish I could do a daily strip. I wish I could, you know, get the jokes out there on a more rapid fire basis. But you know, as I'm sure you guys are aware, you know, when you when you're when you have a life. <laughs> that demands it. Sometimes you gotta, you gotta, like you said, you gotta do what you can do. I have made a firm commitment to myself. It will be at least, you know, once a week. I was doing three times a week for a while there, and that that you really hit a stride with. But uh, then you know you can't. You burn, you burn through your buffer pretty quick too, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and stuff like you know you find uh, find out you know like remodeling the, the your house for a baby or uh, your wife wants to actually see you sometime, uh, <laughs> stuff like that. And I'm I'm not necessarily trying to do web comics as a career. I take it seriously, and I know I have a lot to learn. And I'm 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 actually I try to show my readers behind the scenes. Like if I do a shitty drawing, I throw it up. I'm like, it's shitty, but this is what I'm working on right now. <laughs> uh, I got into a discussion today at work about, and Jason, you'll identify with this. Uh, somebody had given me a, uh, they had like drawn on a baby onesie and drawn the <laughs> Spider-Man uniform. And I was talking about how difficult it was to remember that Spider-Man's uniform doesn't spiral out from his chest. No, you know it I goes mean? down. It, goes, it spirals it out from between his eyes and then just goes down his chest. Right, and a lot of people don't realize that. And when well, I draw, a lot of people are ignorant. <laughs> when I draw things, when I draw, you know, commissions or whatever, it's one of the things that you know, fifteen percent of the time, I fuck up because it's like, <laughs> oh wait, he doesn't look right. He looks like he's wearing checkerboard. That's not right. So that's a long. That's why. That's why I'm glad Jamie does like Marvel Plus. I would love to do like a webcomic in addition to all the other retarded bunch of shit that I'm doing and don't have time to do now. But I could not come up with the jokes even as often or as witty as Jamie does. So I'm glad he's doing it because every now and then if I come up with some stupid idea, I can throw it at him and he can use it or not. But And on the rare occasion that he does use it, I feel like I've done something even though all I did was tell him like two sentences. Yes. Hey, man. Every hey, every bit helps. <laughs> <laughs> every bit helps. Yay, me. <laughs> Before we talk about Nerd Herd for Pittsburgh Comic Con, I got to wrap to Jason for a second about the 60 Spider Man. Yes, See, sir. Because, like you, as a kid, that was on every single day, early, yep. in, the, early in the morning. I've watched some episodes now. And I for completely forgot that when they did the design for Spider-Man, they took all the the webbing. The only the webbing was like on his head. The web design was on his head, but never nowhere else. Yeah, because it's because it's no anim- to draw. Yeah, no animator wants to draw that shit on uh, you know back then. And and that was that cartoon. I can't remember the company that did it right now, but that was also going on during the same time as those uh, Marvel superheroes cartoons that were essentially like panels of comics cut out and then, you know, zoomed in and all that. So, you know, to go from like the old Captain America, Thor, Submariner ones to that Spider-Man was a giant leap in animation for them. So (laughs) I'm just glad they did it at all. What's crazy is this is what's crazy about the Spider-Man 60s cartoon. 
I was following through some papers just now trying to find some information because, okay, Grant Ray, Lawrence Animation produced the first season of that. There are, 50, yep. there are 52 episodes in all, but Grant, Grant, Grant Ray, Lawrence Animation produced the first season, first season. Seasons two and three were crafted by producer Ralph Bakshi in New yep. York City. That is crazy. Right. I just remember watching those, and like, that was you know a very big influence for me. Even though there were times where he would shoot spider webs into the sky to swing, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, how is he able to? What I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to question this anymore. I'm just going to just continue to watch it. I, I would see him do that, and I knew there was nothing there for him to swing at, but I would just grin like a mongoloid and run around the living room swinging from my webs. <laughs> exactly. But uh, that cartoon, I love that cartoon so much that when I was in high school, there was a station around here, Philly 57 that would show that for like an hour a day. And I didn't get that station, so I had a classmate who got that station. I would buy tapes and pay him to tape it every day for me. <laughs> now it's out on DVD, and I own the DVD set. Well, see, that's cool, because I think now that DVD set is out of print. Oh, is it already? Yeah, I think oh, so, that's... because I want to say that Disney uh, Disney acquired the rights to put that on DVD, and as in Disney fashion, they put it out for a while. And they're like, well, we've, uh, we've got all the money we could squeeze out of this right now. Pull. <laughs> and, they, and they pulled it, if memory serves me correctly. Because I swear, there's a period of time where that box set went for good coin on eBay. Oh, really? Yeah, I love it. I just wish they would come out with uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends on uh, a uh, you know, commercial release. I have it on bootleg, of course, but well, I would in, love a commercial release of that. In the U.K., in the U.K., you can get Spider-Man and his amazing friends, the complete series, and you can also get Spider-Woman as well. Oh, sweet. I have a really shitty set of Spider-Woman. You know, I love that Spider-Woman cartoon. I, I, I do. I, that's, that's still one of my all-time faves. And it's not the greatest cartoon in the world by, by any means. Just like the uh, 80s Spider-Man cartoon um, that came yeah. out around the same Ooh. time. You yeah, know, that one was bad. <laughs> you know, the, like my favorite episode from the 80s Spider-Man cartoon was when it had Captain America and Doctor Doom in it. And I think Captain America got captured and Spidey had to go save the day. There are a lot of bad episodes from that 80s Spider-Man, including one time Spidey had to go uh, capture uh, Black Cat. And Black Cat somehow was able to find a life-size mousetrap to trap Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, the incredible shrinking Spider-Man with that guy in the plastic jumpsuit and, yes. like, a welding hammock, <laughs> yes. a helmet. Yeah, that... that and that series was horrible. Yeah. Spider-Man and his amazing friends was fantastic compared to that, so... You know, plus they had those X Men episodes. Oh, you know, yep. oh, those X Men team ups, great. Oh, that was good stuff. Yeah, but speaking sure, of, go sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, oh, I'm speaking of, some, hey, shut up, Jamie. I'm, I'm going to hit him with some trivia here. <laughs> go, you. are I'm going to punch you in the nuts the next time I see you. <laughs> see, if you're a fan of like superhero cartoons and stuff, you you remember the X Men cartoon Pride of the X Men? It was the one Marvel used to pitch for an NBC cartoon series. Yes. Do you know? Do you know why X-Men did not make it onto the air that season? What took their spot? Well, what took their spot? Smurfs. Get out of here. Yep. NBC passed on X-Men to put Smurfs on the air. And now you know. Wow. I, I did not know that. That is awesome. Remember in, um, when, um, when Marvel had the Marvel Action Hour? Yep. And, and it, was Saturday, it was Saturday morning thing. It was syndicated. And they had that. there was also that one-shot pilot for the X-Men with that nice animation where they fought uh, Magneto and the... Uh, was it the Masters of Evil? Not the Masters of Evil, but the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants on uh, Asteroid M. Do I don't know, know that I ever did see that. that it was a one-shot. It, it, was, it was essentially, like, it was pretty much a pilot as well. You might as well say it. I wish I still had that VHS tape because it was out on VHS for, like, the longest time. But um, And that was years before 
the 90s X-Men cartoon came out. And I remember I also had the comic book, too, because there was a one-shot comic book where they took stills from that, an- from, from that animation and just made it into a comic book. And I wish I still had that. Oh, I'm still bitter I don't have it. If I ever find it, if I ever find it, I promise I'll get you a copy of it. Because I would appreciate that. The animation on that was nice. I'm for real. It was real nice. It was better than anything from the 90s X-Men. I enjoyed the 90s X-Men for what it is, but that one episode pilot was fantastic. The worst part about the 90s X-Men cartoon was people that weren't comic book fans coming up to you and telling you how awesome it was and how much like the comic book it was. It's like, motherfucker, have you ever read an X-Men comic book? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, Jim. You were going to say something before. I was going to say, uh, chime in. Uh, Jason reminded me. I'd actually, I don't. It's weird how you make connections, but something that I'm heavily influenced by, and is actually going to play more of a part uh, in the Mumblepuss storyline, is uh, you guys remember Muppet Babies? Oh, of course. You know how they would always go on adventures or like pretend. Yes. You can't find that on DVD anywhere. Some of that has to do with some of the footage that's used in those episodes. Some of them, like, it's like they had movie footage, television footage, right. and TV shows. Sometimes, you know, the licensing for that can be quite a mess. That's the same reason why you can't get out. You can't get um, Alvin and the Chipmunks on DVD. Any of that really? St- any of that stuff? Alvin. The, any of that stuff from the eighties? All those covers they sang? That's <laughs> true. Oh, you, man. Got, you got to get the rights for every single one of those songs. You will never. You know, I'm not, I shouldn't say never because you never know. But as of right now, you will never see that on DVD. You'll get it via bootleg, but that's about it. We need to wrap about Nerd Herd before we close out this interview. Because okay. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Comic Con, by the time this episode airs, Pittsburgh Comic Con will be upon us. So... People need to know about the nerd herd. So can either of you gentlemen tell tell the listeners what the nerd herd is all about? <laughs> I will defer to Jamie. <laughs> uh, the nerd herd is basically a collection of uh, people we like and people who are cool. Now, <laughs> uh, it's a collection of a bunch of independent uh, comic owners. Um, Sean Williams, the, the actual person who, who put this all together, um, is always looking for a place to... Uh, indoctrinate himself and uh he is the one we do the uh the nerd cast with and he had a brilliant idea to like do a scavenger hunt to get people interested in checking out independent work because one thing we always and we talked about it on the show was you go to a comic book convention there are there there are comic fans there are people who are interested in buying your product but they're not necessarily savvy enough to go to check out the nameless people, <laughs> the the people who aren't you know Jim Lee and David Finch, uh, you know the people who are are working their way up and you know doing it for the passion and the love of comics that we you know we all share. So I guess two years ago we had done Pittsburgh Comic Con, and the year after that was the first year we did uh, the Nerd Brawl piece, which was just a bunch of uh, you know independent creators. We just did a jam piece. And uh, it was us and uh, a lot of the people we're doing it with this year. And it really got a lot of buzz going. We got a lot of eyes on our product. It got a bunch of, a lot of interest on it. And we decided to do it even bigger this year. And we actually approached the convention about, we talked the, about the it. Convention the convention approached us. The, yeah. the convention approached us. That's right. Because and, uh, uh, they, they saw people walking around with the little slips and 
you know, heard people talking about it, and they're making. You got to give them credit for the amount of press and stuff they're giving us on that too. Yes. And basically, what it is, it's uh, you go around and you get a signature from everybody that's a participating nerd herder, which is, you know, Mumblepuss, Ledslinger Studios, PKD Media, Dominic Vivona, Jeff McComsey, uh, Mike Imbiden. Am I pronouncing his name right? Yeah, he Mike does Imbiden, Mike, yes. Yeah. Mike Imbiden, uh, Dave uh, Wachter. Dave Wachter, the, the Eisner nominated a Dave Wachter. Yes. Antonio Clark. Antonio Clark. Uh, James McMunn, Stephen oh, Lindsay, oh, oh. Uh, Josh, and Josh, Josh from PLB and, Comics. PLB Comics, thank you. And uh, if you go to the Nerdcast booth at the Pittsburgh Comic Con, we will be passing out, and it's in the program too. Uh, we will. You can find all the names of where you need to go, and when you uh, get everyone's little signature, uh, you are entered to win a large print of the jam piece we have done. Yeah, together. I remember the one from last year where it was actually framed, and the kid that got it was all hyped about it. <laughs> yeah, it was Tick Pink, man. And uh, we're yeah, going to frame then- it again this year. <laughs> 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 it will be in frame. Uh, we're going to And uh, every booth you go to is going to have its own specials going on too. As a nerd herder, you will be privy to you know a, a special discount by being by having that nerd herd uh, card. Right. So by doing the scavenger hunt, you will get a special discount that, you know, the lower forms of life that aren't doing it will not be privy to. Like Jason said, I think it's really cool that the Pittsburgh Comic Con has really gotten behind this. What's the worst that could happen? It gets it gets the Nerd Herd promotion more traffic? Yeah. You, you, right. can't, and you can't beat that. Now, you did it last year, Sean. Yes. Did did you uh, feel that it got a lot more faces in front of your booth? Oh, it got a ton of more faces, uh, you know, in, in our in our area and in our booth. The funny thing about it is, is that there were a lot of kids that were involved in it, too. And some yeah. of them were just in it for the fun of the scavenger hunt. They weren't really there to buy comics, but I didn't mind. I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that at all, you know, because like they would still like take like a uh, like a bookmark or a postcard with our website on it. And then I, you know, I come back on. I would come home, and Monday I would look at our web traffic, and our web traffic increased. So there were no complaints there at all from that. I'm like, this is fantastic. And there were a lot of adults that got in on it, got in on it too, and they actually bought some stuff from us. So it was a win-win as far as I was concerned. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, it's funny because I would see people, you know, people would walk by the booth, and I'm not the most approachable guy in the world. I'll be the first to admit that. But, you know, and i try and get them over, and they would come over. Well, then they would hit Sean, and he'd give them a little form, and they'd come back, and I could rap with them a little bit. You know, Sean Quip Williams, founder of the Nerdcast, over the years, he's had countless shitty ideas, but I got to give him credit. <laughs> this is a really good one. Like, occasionally, you throw shit to the wall. Uh, yeah, something's uh, going to stick. stick. We really support independent creators. We And this is one way. It's a great community of uh, of individuals. And everyone we keep, I mean, yourself included, Sean, it's, uh, it's really nice to feel that you're not alone and that you're all trying to do something that you love and you can keep... It sometimes gets disheartening when you're out on the on the floor. You're you're up at four in the morning trying to bang a script out or whatever, and sometimes you feel like it may not be worth it. There's other people out there that are you know struggling through the same stuff you are. We all do it for the love of it, and uh, that's why I think about it's great about great about this year. This is all people we've met. You know, we've been friends with PLB Comics for God three or four years now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Stephen Lindsay, we just met. Uh, you know, Mike, we just we just uh, talked to at Super Show. You know, we've known uh, PKD Media for two years. Uh, you know, Jeff McComsey 
is local. So is Dom. Uh, Dave you know, Wachter. Dave Wachter we met last year at Pittsburgh. These are all people we've become friends with and that are chill chill guys that we were like, this, these people have some good product. How do we draw eyes to them and how do we get our friends to check out their stuff and, and you know, get our three listeners uh, to go uh, over to buy some stuff from other people? We like to give back. Oh, and, and it's it's a wonderful <laughs> it's a wonderful promotion, and, and you know, and I'm glad that you guys were able to talk about it because I definitely want, and like you, like you, like yourselves, I, I definitely want a lot of people to be down with it when they come to the Pittsburgh Comic Con. So because it's going to be a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun last year, and actually, that promotion honestly really made my weekend. And and that's 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 just being straight up. So so Sean, uh, equip. Um, I thank you, brother. So if you listen to this podcast, which you're probably not, no, I'm just playing. I know you do. Um, <laughs> seriously, thank you very much. I, we, we all appreciate He listens to everybody's. <laughs> I don't even listen to my own. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> And I know Jason does it. I occasionally listen to ours. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, oh, uh, putting, this jam, you know, putting this jam piece together is always fun. Uh, we had a really good one this year, so... I'm looking forward to unveiling it at the, at the Pittsburgh Comic Con, and I think we're working on anybody that actually completes the scavenger hunt. I think we're going to try to do a mini print again. Of okay. so if something gets somebody gets something after running around to to everybody, you know they not not just get a discount or you know if applicable um, to their their stuff, but uh, also walk away with something that reminding them of the Pittsburgh Comic Con and and meeting all these independent creators. Cool. One of which is an Eisner Award winner. Or yes, no, nominee. 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 I feel he's already won in my heart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jason, on that jam piece, you were the cat that did uh, that did Murd for Mercury and the Murd, right? I did, sir. I appreciate that. It looks fantastic, and I thank you. Uh, I'm glad you like it. I uh, tried a little bit of a different approach, since I'm not. Here I am throwing that cartoonist title out again, but I'm not like a cartoonist toony kind of artist mm-hmm. but i tried to do it a little more in the style or in the vein of the uh the strip oh no hey i, I appreciate that and i think it looks great so i can't wait to see it i can't wait to see it framed when i get to pittsburgh and just like peep it all so but before we take before we end this uh, conversation i need the people to know where they can find you guys online jamie we'll start with you where can they find uh, find you online mumblepuss.com that's it that's all you need to know what about you, Jason? <laughs> Ledslingerstudios.com. And there's also Nerdcast. What's the site for Nerdcast? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's neenerneener.net. Okay, cool. You can, also type, you can also type nerdcast.com, and I'll take you to neenerneener.net. And that's nerd with a three, not an E, right? Yes. Right. Because right. we're uh, elite computer geeks. Get we should that. give the warning that if uh, you do not like offensive language, uh, you probably shouldn't check out our... Or podcast? No, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 more than understandable. My podcast is for grown folks too, so you know I have an explicit tag on my podcast. So I was gonna say I didn't even ask. I just came in cursing like a sailor. <laughs> yeah, we we have we have no censor board on. on you got this, any of them fucking kids listening to this show, Sean? <laughs> Not now. <laughs> no, but um, gentlemen. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. I definitely want y'all back sometime in the near future because I got to talk some old school cartoons with y'all and I got to <laughs> get some more G.I. Joe talk in because for people who listen to this podcast, they know I'm like one of the biggest G.I. Joe fans ever. So um, I got to get y'all back on soon. But thank you so much. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Coming to Discount Comic Book Service this April, Oceanverse number three. Oceanverse chronicles the adventures of pulp hero Clayton Hemmings and his hand-picked crew aboard the Red Herring, a submarine in search of the mysteries of the sea. Oceanverse number three contains two fun stories and one exciting book. Red Herring pilot B.R. Cooper has a ghostly encounter in the air, leading to a fateful race under the sea. Then, the Herring gets a few unexpected visitors. Will tentacles and evil coral spell the end for our crew? Written and illustrated by Michael Schwartz, Oceanverse number three also contains a pinup by Katie Cook. 24 pages of crisp black and white art. Oceanverse number three's regular price is $3.50, but on DCBS this month, you can get it for $2.27. That's 35% off. Missed out on Oceanverse number one and number two? No problem. They're both on DCBS this month. Number one is $1.95, and number two is $2.27. Place your order this month, April 2010, on DCBService.com. Oceanverse, a universe of adventure under the sea. We'll go ahead and start with the uh, with the first question. Shoot the first question. Um, what got you into 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 comics? Uh, what got you into comics, and what made you decide that um, you wanted to start off Angry Gnome Comics? Well, I've been reading comics probably as far back as I can remember. It's just it's always been something that's been there. My parents were. We're young when they started having the kids, so you know we did a lot of growing up together. So there were always old Spider-Man comics, and I, I know I had a lot of Richie Rich growing up. And it's just always been something that throughout elementary school, I'd be drawing pictures of different characters, making my own characters, all that kind of stuff. By the time I got into like high school, college age, I was really starting to appreciate horror movies a lot more like i've always watched them but i really started to appreciate the you know the breakdown to them the flow of them and everything and i just kept coming up with other with stories and it just basically got to the point where it was either you know write them down or drive steph crazy by constantly telling her all these stories keeping her up at night So, yeah, she basically said, just write it down, I'll draw it, just shut up and let me get some sleep, is how the conversation went. I, I can understand that. I can understand that. I do that. I, I bother my wife all the time with stories as well, and I keep having to remind myself that she is not into the geekdom as much as I am, so I have to, I have to curtail it and put it on a limit. <laughs> so, <laughs> But see, you're lucky because you get to do collabos, collabos with Stephanie, because so, she's, she's in the comic game, too. So mm-hmm. no, that that's a that's a good thing. Now, how long have you been doing this for? I want to say six years now. I believe it's been around six years. What is your favorite scene all time in a comic? 
Oh, wow. everybody's got that one comic that when they were a kid or growing up a little bit that they just love. Huh. Just one particular comic, Sean, with you. I know it was a uh, Infinite Crisis, the Justice League issue. Oh, you mean? No, you mean Legends? You mean? Nah, you said it was the ju- you said it was the in- the Crisis on Infinite Earths oh. Justice League episode issue special. Oh, the yeah, that one, yeah, yeah, that one. Yes, 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 yes. You were absolutely the one you right. read like twenty five, thirty times. Yes, you were absolutely right. The yes, you were correct. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Probably see, and this this isn't going that far back because my my memory's kind of poor, but um. The the main <laughs> comic that I remember reading a lot when I was younger was I want to say it was Ghost Rider maybe twenty five of the Dan Catch run where because it had a big um, like a stock cover fold out with a pop up of of Ghost Rider attacking Blackout and then Blackout winds up biting out Danny Catch's throat and for me that was always just a really cool sequence through the comic a big fight in the cemetery ending with this vampire just ripping a guy's throat out was, you know, really stuck with me. Well, yeah, you are the horror guy. <laughs> so, yeah. well, well, that leads into actually into a good segue about uh, as far as horror goes and stuff like that. You're really into horror comics. Your Angry Gnome Comics line has a bunch of horror comics. So you've been doing this for, for a while and like, you know, mm-hmm. you and Stephanie have been staking your claim into this. What is it that you enjoy most about making um, horror genre comics i like that it's sort of a good horror story is kind of like a twisted joke you you got to set up a what people will view as a normal status quo and then at the end you just give it a nice twist you know you get people thinking it's going one way or give them something that they expect to go one way and then you just get to turn that on its head and that's the same thing with a joke that's what can make it funny or if you do it right that's what can make it creepy or scary so I kind of like that aspect of it. Now, also, you love telling these stories. You've done it in a lot of different fashions, um, whether it be a book like Victor Season or Palm Reader, Greenbrook, um, because we did a Greenbrook uh, cross cross promotion uh, last year. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I like my book so much, I changed the title, and now I'm trying to spin it off and do something else with it because I'm a nut. <laughs> but um, you also have found a way to tell a ton of horror stories with a book called Short Stack. Can you, yes. tell the, can you tell the people how Short Stack came to be? All right. Well, Short Stack was actually kind of an accident because we don't, you know, we're too small to really have ads in our books. And when we were first starting out, we started out with Victor Season and Palm Reader. We had two stories going and we didn't have any, you know, in-house ads set up yet. And your general comic script is 22 pages. The closest print spread to that is is 24 pages. So I had two blank pages at the end of the book and we decided let's just write up a quick two-page story, draw it up, throw it in there so we can get thing printed and out there. People liked the two-page story and kept asking, you know, well, are you going to do more of those? Are you going to do more of those? So we we're like, yeah, let's just do a whole book of just the two-page stories. So it just, it kind of grew on its own. Now, your wife, Stephanie, she does most of the art, I assume, for this, right? Yes. How did you two meet? Uh, Actually, we work at the same place. I was working there first, and she came in 
um, after she, well, yeah, she got the job, came in, and for the first couple of days, they had her sitting with me to <laughs> teach her the programs. So, yeah. Was she already a comic fan? No. No. Was she I an art fan at all? What, what kind of art was she into? Uh, more traditional stuff. She's um, She's done, like, you know, sculptures and painting and all that kind of stuff. So this was just a... Getting into comics was another way for her to express herself. It was another avenue that she hasn't done yet. So she had a lot of fun getting into that. And y'all been doing this for about six years. Do you, how much growth in your storytelling for, on both of, for both of y'all do you feel you've done? I think a lot. I mean, and that's generally what we, what we hear a lot of, too. Because through the course of doing, like, short stack, I've used the same artists a couple of times, and a couple of them keep telling me that every time I send them a script, your writing just keeps getting better, which makes me feel good. And I can, I can look at Steph's art from our first issue to our, the most recent one that she's drawn and she's, you know, she's starting to play around with more camera angles than before. She's doing different art styles. She's trying to get into marker shading as opposed to just using the pencils. And so she's experimenting a lot with it, which is really cool to see. Now, I, I have to say that ever since Stephanie started playing with the uh, marker shading, mm-hmm. you can tell a really big difference in her art. It really makes her art pop out um, so much more than from her art from her original art because i first read um palm reader first Mm -hmm. time because first time i met both you and stephanie was at the pittsburgh comic-con in 2000 and let's see this is 2010 so i think it was 2007 yes it was 2007 pittsburgh comic-con 2007 that's literally when i met everybody um (laughs) you and stephanie and dave devonch and comic speak and chad chad saccone and no i didn't meet saccone until 2000 and Hey, ah, hell, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, you and I were eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just like all one big blur, man. It's just like all, you know, it's all like one big comic geek blur. I remember reading Palm Reader, and it was a cool story, and I thought Stephanie's art was pretty cool. I was like, this is cool. I was like, you know, I mean, it fits the story very well, but looking at what she did back then, and like even some of the sketches that I've gotten from her over the years, like, a, like um, the very first sketch I ever got from her was a few years ago was a, was a Wonder Woman. Then I got a Miss Marvel, and then I got a, a new Wonder Woman sketch from her at Super Show, and that's where the marker shading came into play. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it's just freaking beautiful, and it's like this just total progression. Total yeah, I progression. Was, it's fantastic. Yeah, I was looking at some of the stuff uh, because I've got a portfolio. I keep a lot of the sketches I get in, and I was looking back at some of the stuff from Super Show of two years ago, and then. I saw some stuff she was doing this past year, and it was not night and day, but it was a really good progression. It, her style had really gotten better, oh, yeah. and your writing has changed, too, and gotten a little tighter. Well, thank you. With Short Stack, you're doing a bunch of two-page stories, and with stories like you know Victor Season and Palm Reader and stuff like that, you've had to collaborate with a bunch of people. Now, mm-hmm. it's... And we're, I'm going to ask you what it's you know what it's like collaborating w- with with the misses and because you, you've talked about how she's like taking more taking more risks and doing more things. But there are very few people I know that can work with their wife at a job and then work with their wife in comics <laughs> as well. That's one hell of a relationship if you can do that on both ends. I give you mad props, and you need to write a book and tell people <laughs> tell people your secrets. But, um, what's your, what's your I guess I don't want to say secret, but what's what helps you 
to work with a versatile set of artists for a book like Short Stack because you're dealing with a multitude of artists for two-page stories. Well, a lot of it is just finding the right artist at the right time, really. I do a lot of trolling around on different art sites online, and I'll try to find people who's, if I have a script already down and I see an art style that I think will match it, or if I see an art style sometimes, an ideal will click in my head and I'll write down a script and email them and say, hey, would you like to try this? So it's it's just, it's a lot of just throwing things out there and seeing who grabs at it. It's it's kind of hard to to keep everybody on task. Like right now I have seven out of 13 stories for Short Stack Issue 6, and I'm having a hard time getting those last six stories. I have enough scripts out there to fill another two issues but it's just everybody who has those scripts they all need you know longer than what when i'd like to get this book out so that that's kind of the rough part for me and i do set deadlines with them when i first give them the script so it's not like i didn't know this was coming up it's just every time i get a new person on board they need that extra time right off the bat so i don't want to tell these people no when they're willing to work with me but I kind of have to find some people soon <laughs> who can help me finish this book out. Right. So I take you've had situations where you may have written extra stories and given them to people just in case if certain people can't get what you need on time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I tend to run it more as a uh, a deadline per person as opposed to a deadline for the issue itself because that way I can keep a steady flow of stories coming in for the most part and I can, between four issues four and five, I had an extra five stories, I believe, that were already in the can before four was even, before I even got four printed. Mm. So it's kind of nice to go by person because then I can give them, you know, however long they need. I know where that story stands and I can build up, I can shuffle them around to get the, to get a good spread for each book. Back to the back to the previous question, John. You can have next question after I get this one out. Um, <laughs> col- col- collaborating um, with with Stephanie, uh, doing a comic and building a comic with your <laughs> wife. What's that progression been like from the very first comic you did to the YouTube done together and up until today? What is what is that what has that journey been like for the both of you? She's a lot more willing to accept when I when I want a panel changed a little bit by now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no notice she's not in the room when I'm saying that, but and you're you seeing you're a smart man for that. So. <laughs> no, it's just when she first started out, when we first started out the whole thing, we had you know, I had some scripts down and she was doing some sketching and I booked a table at the Pittsburgh Comic-Con before we even had anything ready because I figured, you know, I need to give myself that deadline to make sure that I get off my ass and get it done. It takes balls. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it worked too. So I was, I was happy with that, but you know, and since it was a brand new medium for her, it was very, you know, she was a lot more touchy with it back then. If I would say, you know, well, I kind of had more of this in mind for this panel or, you know, and that's understandable. I mean, I do I do the same thing. There's a lot of times that she'll draw something out and I'll be like, you know, 
that's not what I had written, but that looks so much better than what I had planned for it. So it's been a lot of fun. It's it keeps growing like that. Cool. So ain't nobody try to stab each other with like pencils or or, or anything like that. Not lately, not lately. I keep my my scars hidden well. Okay, good. Because I know y'all also like do the martial arts thing. Y'all are actually like you know martial right. artists. So if there was a problem with the panel, if it just like breaks out into like a matrix <laughs> fight, so um, you know I'm just making sure everything that that the domestic side is cool. While y'all oh yeah, yeah, scars. it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's I was good. gonna say that that's one of the upsides of living in the Northeast. You can wear long sleeves for a lot longer, so you can hide the bruises. And uh, Stephanie, we love you. We just playing, Stephanie. We, we just playing. We love you. Oh, she could she could take me definitely. <laughs> Go ahead, John. It's on you, player. How many cons do y'all do in an average year? Not just. Uh, I assume you do more than just comic cons. Well, no. Right now, all we do is the Pittsburgh con and the Super Show because since we both work at the same place, we have both really made ourselves um, necessary at this job. We've both really specialized what we do there, so it's hard for us both to get enough time off at the same time to go do other shows. Yeah, I can understand that. My boss is already giving me shit for being for wanting to be off at Heroes. <laughs> right. See, we wanted to do Heroes, and that's another. That's one of those. It would have taken us. You know, we would have wanted to take some extra time off because it's maybe uh, I want to say nine hour drive for us, something like that. Yeah, so and you got to be. And Sean, you'll admit you got to be there from Thursday until Sunday. Yeah, yeah, the, the, and and to be honest with you, when it really comes down to it, when you're done on Sunday, you're so tired. There's no driving back home. <laughs> no, you know you go. You're gonna go hang out with some peoples, go get something to eat, and you are going to crash. And then you get up Monday morning, like, okay, it's time to go. That is not just a show; it is an event. So uh, yeah, you got to be there for the whole time. Yeah, so we're hoping to try to, you know, get that in next year because we weren't able to pull it off this year. So we're going to try to, you know, hit up our our bosses early this year and say, next year we want to go do this. We're going to need that time off. Yeah, I was. Gonna, are there any horror cons in your area that are just like one day shows or Saturday Sunday only shows? They had one about three years ago, two or three years ago. We we just went to it to check it out. We figured we'll go look at this one and go set up next year if we like it. And it was an okay size show. It was kind of small, but small shows sometimes are a lot of fun to be behind the table at. And I met some nice people there, so it would have been cool. But then they just never had the show here again. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of screwed that plan. But we keep looking around, hoping to find something else. Yeah, I was going to say this year uh, is like the first year in a while that Chicago's Horror Con is not the same weekend as uh, Wizard World Chicago, which is funny because if you get their email from them, because it's like, really, the Dark Shadows people are going to be there. Really, this person's going to be there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I just was, I figured that would have been a natural for y'all to do as well, but I guess there's not as many Horror Cons in the Northeast as there are down here. We've, there's several that are in this area. See, yeah, and you'd think with with me being right outside of Pittsburgh, you'd figure, you know, with the all the George Romero stuff and the um, the Tom Savini stuff, they both, you know, the whole Night of the Living Dead, all that stuff is from this area. So you'd think that we'd get a lot more horror stuff going on, but there's not not too much that I've been able to track down anyway. Um, when we get to Pittsburgh Comic Con, if Brian Mays is there. 
I want you two to talk because Brian Mays goes to a lot of horror cons in the East, in 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 the uh, in the East Coast, and I think some of them are pretty close to you. So okay. possibly. So I got to make sure that you t- that, that y'all talk that y'all talk about it because I swear every other month he reports on Facebook that he is going to like this horror con or this con, and he's got pictures. And he's he's a talented artist. He does regular cons too. Um, and you might even see him at Heroes, but um, he should be at Pittsburgh this year. So if he is, I would definitely make sure that y'all rap. You watch A-list horror movies all the way to the triple Z level horror movies. <laughs> Sci-fi. Sci-fi channel. Yay! <laughs> yes, Dean Kane specials. <laughs> um, what was that? What was that shark movie they just had? Just did, like did they have Dino a- Shark. That made Revenge of the Killer Tomatoes look like CGI. <laughs> uh, look like James Cameron did it. That's awful. <laughs> that is awful. What okay? Tell me some. Tell me some of your favorite movies that kind of inspire some of the comics that you've made. Ah, uh, jeez. Let's see. Well, obviously for me, the original Nightmare on Elm Street is top notch. Original Nightmare and Part Three are are the best. This. <laughs> thank you. This remake, I'm not. I'm not too uh, excited for, but just one of those things. You know, that's my childhood. I don't like that getting stomped on, but you know, that's a different subject. Harold Haley can play a creep pretty well. I mean, look what he's look at his last two big roles. Oh yeah, I I have nothing against him. I think he'll do a great job in it. It's just some of the special effects that I've seen are are way too overdone. Such as in the original Nightmare when Freddy stretches out of the out of the wall above Nancy when she's sleeping. It looks real and it looks creepy. And then you see in the previews for the new one where they try to recreate that, but Freddy kind of like, it looks like uh, the Frighteners. He's stretching all out of the wall, probably a good six feet out of the wall, curving all around down towards her. And it just, it looks like really bad CG. And I'm just, I don't know. It's like a bastardization of a really good scene. Yeah, that and the... Too much CGI in the in the rise of the Saw type movies is really why I just have abandoned horror movies personally. See, I, I enjoy parts of the Saw movies because I like I like the earlier ones because it, they were a lot more mental. Like the two guys in the room in the first one, where you know if you oh, want yeah, else, gotta cut your foot off. That kind of stuff I really dig. But yeah, some of the things have gotten a little crazy in those. But I still go see them every year. Hostile. Didn't like that. Oh, God, that was a horrible fucking movie. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where they advertised it as this great, you know, this great torture movie and this horror thing where you pay money and you get to kill somebody. And I was like, cool, good idea. And then I go there and the first, what, hour and a half of the movie is just TNA. And then you get nothing wrong with that. What's that? There's nothing wrong with a little TNA. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying when I'm going and expecting to see some horror, and that's what I'm getting, and I get five minutes worth of horror, I kind of, I don't like that. Yeah, it's not so much horror as it is blood and guts now. Yeah, yeah. Did, did either of you see High Tension? No. Now, wasn't High Tension actually a foreign film that they pulled yes. over to the States? Yes. I, I believe it was French. 
almost positive on that. Because and it's, that has, it's, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I apologize for cutting you off. Oh, it's fine. Doesn't, doesn't it have Rhonda Mitra in it? I don't recall any of the actors' names. Okay, okay no problem. But, Go ahead. Yeah, it is a solid movie. Really, um, it starts off. What I really liked about it is a lot of these movies now that you get are either remakes or just crap, where they they give you all these characters that you could care less about, and then they start getting killed off, and it's like whoop de doo. But high tension within the first ten fifteen minutes of it, they make you care about this family, slaughter pretty much all of them. And then the whole rest of the movie is is just rise mm. until the final conflict. So it's it's a really good, real good movie. Tons of tension to it, and it's got the, it's got a kind of pace that I really like. Because like I'm not the biggest horror fan in in the world. Um, sometimes sometimes I'm in the mood to watch something like that, but a lot of times I'm not. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I'm just a puss. But um, <laughs> but the problem I've had with like a lot of horror films especially nowadays you talked about the overuse of cgi but for me the whole gore for gore's sake Mm -hmm. yeah you can only take that for me with anything with any genre you can only take something so far to the point to where you oversaturate it and it loses all of its power oh absolutely that's one of my main issues again and i hate to keep going back to the current remake trend, but one of my main issues with it is, you know, when they remade Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they took out all the slow, creepy stuff from the original and just made Leatherface fast and mean. And then they did the same thing to Halloween. They gave him, they took out the boogeyman aspect and made Michael Myers fast and mean. And then they did the same thing to Jason. They took out the methodical, I'll kill you with whatever I can pick up and just made him fast and mean. So they're all the same character by now. And it's just, it's like they're just doing that. They're just saying, you know, kids today or whoever don't have the attention span to sit and enjoy the the buildup or enjoy the tension or the creepy aspects of a movie. They just want to give you the gore. They want to give you the jump scares because that's all they think that, you know, people pay attention to. Well, how much of that do you blame on uh, Scream making everybody self-aware? That's true. That's true. And final, and the rise of the the Hellraiser movies, stepping up the gore. Uh, also, you had the what else stepped that up? Yeah, then the Saw movies really came into the, and the Final Destination movies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll see. That was also the trend of, um, well, Scream. That the Scream. That's one thing, but like with Saw. Saw was the perfect example for studios to realize that you can make a horror movie on the cheap and you'll turn profit just like that because your average Saw movie costs no more between uh, between five to ten million dollars. Right. And, you know, a little bit of marketing. Okay, that we bump it up to about 14 million altogether for marketing. But when you've already but when you make a hundred million off of that, off of the little money that you spent and you keep doing that again and again and not increasing your budgets, rotate cast members and actors and actresses in and out of the film, you'll constantly make profits. Now, it finally bit them in the butt with the last movie. It still made profit, but nowhere nowhere near the amount they made on their previous previous films. And that may have finally, maybe the studio says, you know what, I think it's time to end it. But, or let it rest. Yeah, oh yeah, yes, exactly. Let it rest. But now, supposedly, Scream is coming back. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Scream, Scream is supposedly coming back. And granted, that's all rumor. 
because people talk the talk, but they seldom walk the walk. Right. So that's something to possibly look out for as well. But the funny thing is, is that Scream was Scream was the movie that reignited horror. Actually, there are two films that reignited horror. There was a a B a B a B movie, a sci-fi horror movie called uh, was it what was it called uh, about the it was about the uh, snake. It had Jennifer Lopez, Ice Cube, Eric Stoltz. Anaconda. Yes, Anaconda. Anaconda. That pe- oh god, that piece of shit. Hey man, An- Anaconda made a shitload of money. Yes, Anaconda. it did. Yeah, because it. Yeah, because all the black people went because it had Ice Cube, and all the black, <laughs> and all the Hispanics went because it had Jennifer Lopez, and all the black males went because it had Jennifer Lopez, because that's when she was dating Diddy. No, 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 that was before Diddy, sir. Way was before. Was that, was that when she was married to the first time? I thought that's she was. That's when she was married to the backup dancer. Um, <laughs> no lie, I'm for real. No lie, and um, and then it also had John. No, he wasn't a, the restaurant tour. Backup dancer. There you go. (laughs) But um, (laughs) but that and Scream reignited the horror genre because before that, it was dead for a good period of time. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It it was dead for a good period of time. So I think people forget about that. But now we're on this trend where every studio will try to make a inexpensive and cheap horror film because they know it's a it's easy profit. But I think with like I said before, with that last Saw movie not pulling in the bucks that it did before. That you're starting, you're going to start to see that trend kind of die down again, and hopefully that will lead to the films that you enjoy, where you actually have a story that sur- that surrounds the horror, you have tension, and so when they scare you, it means something. And that's something I try to stick to in our books. I try not to do too much gore for gore's sake. I, I don't censor myself, but because I, I do have some stories, you know, especially in a short stack, it's two pages. So I do have some stories that are just gore the whole way through, but the majority of them are a lot more mental and usually cut away before there's major gore. And a lot of that I'll, le- I'll even leave up to the artist. I'll just say in the script, you know, this is what happens here. You can make it as gory or do it in shadow if you want, whatever you feel like doing. I like to give the artists as much, you know, as much freedom as they can because I try to find, I try to mix in people who, if you're in the right circles, you'll know the name of the artist. Like, like I've used Dave Dwanch and Flint Lockjaw and Chad Ciccone. Certain people will recognize those names. Oh, I do because uh, and, I've used them too. Right. You, as like they're members of the PKD media family. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll mix those guys in the same issue with people who maybe this is their first sequential art or their first attempt at horror or somebody who hasn't had, who hasn't even gotten their name out there really, just to try to give them a chance to show off what they can do. And hopefully people will recognize these other names, pick up the books, see these other, you know, these other artists in there and say, hey, I want to follow that person. That's also why in each issue I list contact information or website information for every artist that I use because I want to get them as much exposure as I can. See, another thing I love about you, Sean, is that you're smart in the fact that you have interns. (laughs) <laughs> or, or you have used interns, and my crazy ass is yet to do so. I um, have. So um, I know you've got a marketing director now. Yeah, I know, I know, and then that, and we're actually, you know, collaborating, and we're actually, you know, getting things moving in motion, which is nice, which is real nice, and I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, we made that move because <laughs> Lord knows I needed it. But um, 
What's the experience like, Sean, for you having an intern to help you out with things? It's kind of nice. I mean, for the most part, I just let them still I, – I would let them work on a short stack story. I would just be a lot more hands-on than I normally would. So it was more of a – I don't want to say a mentor kind of thing, but that's kind of how I looked at it for it. I didn't have them running around getting coffee, that kind of stuff, because I don't drink coffee. But I just I tried to do a lot more on that aspect and hit them up for if they knew of an artist who might be interested or if they saw an art style somewhere that they might be interested, just shoot me a link, tell me who it is, let me look at their stuff. And I didn't push them too hard to do what you would expect an intern to be doing. Tried to give them a chance to get into the art as well. I saw that you are now on my digital comics and you're expanding into the digital realm on it. Yes. Uh, How long have you been with them and uh, what kind of response have you gotten? I want to say we signed up maybe in December and I'm still not sure on the response because they don't have it set up yet where you can go in and check the um, your sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way it works is is that um, depending on, on your sales, because we're part of it too, depending on sales go, you will receive a check either monthly or quarterly. If if sales are huge, you'll receive a check monthly if, if right. it serves me right. And if, and if your sales are decent, you would just receive a check quarterly. So... Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how that's how they normally gauge that. Have you uh, by response also as many and have you had anybody that's discovered you through the digital realm first and then and then gone and gotten the uh, physical copies or anything like that yet? Even though I know it's only been five months. <laughs> right, nobody that I've heard say it that way yet, but I do know of some people who have uh, who have bought the digital copies, but. Um, you know, they, a lot of people who I know who bought them are people who I knew beforehand. So I'm not sure how many people are finding it new that way. Now, on top of you doing horror comics, are you currently thinking of doing anything outside of the horror genre exp- to expand the Angry Gnome uh, family of comics or uh, anything else? I am, yeah. Uh, I'm working on a superhero project with Chad Giacconi right now that uh, he's working up some character sketches for. He has the whole the whole uh, script because basically how it's going to work is it's going to be a year-long webcomic is how I want to run it. going to start off with about five pages just to get the enough of an opening in there, run one page a week for the whole year, and then close out with five pages. And then hopefully together. afterwards print it with a like a backup story of some sort, probably. I'm guessing it'll probably be the origin story. You always have found a way to just to plan things properly. I always give you props for that because when you come to Pittsburgh or you come to Super Show, you've, you've got a book ready. <laughs> there is always a book ready, and sometimes you know you'll print through Kablam. Sometimes you know you're able to print through other means, and those books will just be right there <laughs> ready and displayed and ready to roll. And I'm like, this dude is – Sean and Steph are always on point. So I always give y'all props for that because, you know, you say, you, you say you're going to put this book out, it's out. You say it's going to come out on this date, it comes out on this date. <laughs> I always um, admire you. I admire the two of you for your hustle because it's, it's something that's pretty hard for folks to do, especially on the small press side because you, like many of us, this isn't our full-time job. But we treat it as the extra, right. full, as the extra full-time job on top of our full-time job. Plus, you you know, you're getting like black belts and like you know, breaking <laughs> bricks and snapping necks. So, uh <laughs> 
Am I going to get an FYB for Diamond again out of you? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm be I'm behaving myself, man. I've been really, really cool with this whole Diamond rejection thing as of late. I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've channeled my inner chi, and I, I've been okay. Although there is a piece of me that is, um, depending if uh, Diamond doesn't go belly up in the next five months, pondering on submitting another book to them. Pondering. We've got other outlets now, and I'm more confident and what we what we do can succeed outside of diamond so i i don't i haven't really worried about it so i haven't had to do the fuck you bitches speech <laughs> in, in, in a while i've been i've been real good about it it's that inner confidence is i, I don't have those doubts anymore no, i didn't mean to get on my dr phil side i'm going to flip it back over to sean but, i, say, um, now, oh, I okay. was gonna say uh now sh- you've used uh, diamond in the past haven't you sean oh no you no. never have i never have um with we have the short stack trade coming out for Pittsburgh Comic Con, and I was considering maybe giving that a shot with them, you know, see if they bite on it or not. But I, it's just one of those things where you know I don't know that it'd be even worth to try because every time you look at the at the at the previews, it's smaller, it's less yeah, it in the back and less in the back, and I don't know that it's even worth worth the effort to try it. But you know, you never know. Might give it a shot. I did. And this is, you know, just a little uh, back padding on myself. I was indirectly in previews because one of the stories from Shortstack got printed in Heavy Metal Magazine, which goes through previews. So indirectly I was in there, but not on my own uh, doing. That's cool, though. When did, now, when did that story uh, get printed? Uh, last February. Awesome. Yes. yes. So, so we see, see, John, we know two people that have been in heavy metal, the Sean Gabrin and Julian Lytle. Uh, we couldn't find that episode, that issue of uh, heavy metal when we were in uh, Philly. We were looking for it, but we couldn't find it. Yeah, man. They, didn't, they were sold out. Julian, uh, Julian brought his copy. He brought his copy to Super Show, and we got to see it. It, it was awesome. I'm like, we know two people that have been printed <laughs> and in heavy metal. They're superstars. <laughs> it's awesome. Superstar. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. It was the first... Um, first thing that i actually got published that i didn't have to pay to print myself which was a a nice feeling do you use uh print on demand or do you use kablam what do you use i use kablam yeah i started out with comics press they went really bad for a while there i haven't used them in several years so i've been with kablam for for quite a while now i almost went with comics press for the short stack trade but then kablam was like no comics press's prices are cheaper on trade so we're dropping ours so wound up going with kablam on that one too yeah, there's. Yeah, we just learned something, Sean, about what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. We um we were discussing um before this conversation, John and I were discussing about um trying to, what other kinds of books uh, could we print and uh, and pricing on you know doing things in a square bound trade format, and mm-hmm. uh, we, we we were talking about that too. So yeah, it's. I was talking with um with Jamie Fickus and um, Jason Meadows about this. You know, putting books out, your profit margins are just so much better. Um, at shows selling trades, you know, it's it's easier for you to recoup table costs with a trade than it is with a single issue. Oh, I'm sure this is going to be our first our first trade. So 
well, have high hopes for it. So we'll see how it goes. Oh yeah, oh y'all be fine. See, the thing is, the, the the thing I've always admired about the two of you is that when you're at your table and you're hustling books. You know, y'all don't come off like, you know, like game show hosts and car salesmen. You know, y'all don't y'all don't do that. You know, people come your way you, and you sell it without selling it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I always hate when I go to shows and you get the people who are like, come here, come here, come here. I mean, I, we went to when we went to that horror show, there was this guy who kept talking to us, trying to get us to buy a book he did where he reviewed. I think it was 200 horror movies in this book. That's all it was, was reviews that he wrote about horror movies. And he kept talking about these and kept talking. And I'm like, okay, you know, we move on to the next booth. And he's still yelling over at us about what movies he's reviewing in this book. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm over here talking to these guys now because they're not being asses about this. They're letting me look at the stuff. They're answering my questions. Just shut up and let me go. You know, and I don't like being that kind of person. And and I'm I'm the same way. I'm the same right. way. I you know I'll be I'll be respectful. I'll be polite. Can't step away from my table and drag somebody over. I just that that doesn't sit right with me because I've had that done to me before. I'm like you know what? Look, get back. I got long arms. I can punch you from far away. <laughs> I'm not you know not that I'm violent sometimes, but um I know how you feel. Before we go, I need you to tell the people where can they get or see Angry Gnome? Well, we have all our books are available through angrynomecomics.com. There's a link there to our store on Kablam and our store with My Digital Comics. My Digital Comics, right now, we only have our number ones. So we have Victor Season 1, Palm Reader 1, Shortstack 1, and Greenbrook, Our House is Home. Are all four available on there? We haven't up to any you know number twos yet just because we want to see which ones are actually selling on there first and through the the kablam store you can get everything that we have all five issues of short stack all four issues of palm reader palm readers finished so that's the full story there victor season is up to four out of six issues so we're we're trucking along and john can you tell the people um, about the podcast that you do and your blog spot. The wonderful podcast I do uh, roughly every two weeks, Carol Chronicles. Uh, rough, I try and keep it under 30 minutes, usually under 15. It's usually going to be on sports or something else that's going on in the world. Uh, usually comes out on Friday. My personal blog is theoblivionbar.com. I have not updated in a while simply because the gentleman that is my host is waiting for a new for several paying people to have him read to basically upgrade uh, his WordPress, and then he'll do mine because that way he can piggyback mine for no charge. So I haven't updated in a while, but that should be done in a couple of weeks, and I will be updating regularly starting probably first of June awesome. at the latest. Yes, oh. right before Heroes. And if I could, one more thing though for for completists out there. Sean Pryor does have a story in the short stack trade. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, way, 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 to, way to push that, way to slide that on in there. I like right, that. Right, right. You know? Yes. Um, no. Dean Stahl and I did a story together. It was actually really cool because I started, when I started writing comics, I wrote like eight page stories and then I started writing full length comics and, and trying to pull back to a two page story. At mm-hmm. first, that man, I still get aneurysms thinking about that <laughs> because I had to really challenge myself, man. Be going from expanding to contracting in a story form was like a real big deal for me, but it was it was a challenge, and 
it was it was a great challenge and I enjoyed it. And I thank you for putting that in the trade. I feel special now. I was very happy to have you do it. Yeah, I'm kind of like the anti-Bendis, I think. <laughs> yes, you do not like decompression. <laughs> and that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our form, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, XO one on the Rock Solid Steel Bots, Agents of Colt, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.